Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Now the serving was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they stood fig leaves together and made themselves throwing clothes. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? So this week, we're going to be talking about justification, sorry, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about um, justification and sanctification. Two more, uh, like like adoption, two more benefits of being united to Christ. Um, sanctification, for just like a succinct definition of the two, sanctification is the fruit of Christ's work in you. Uh, and justification, what we're going to be focusing on tonight, uh, is the fruit of Christ's work for you. Justification is the fruit of Christ's work for you. Uh, many of you have probably heard this by now, but back in 2016 at the Golden Globes, uh, Jim Carrey was introduced onto the stage to give out uh, the award for uh, Best Motion Picture in Comedy. And as he was introduced... Uh, as the, quote, two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, he took the mic, and uh, this, is, this is what he said. He said, um, thank you, thank you. I, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, and when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir, I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me. Pretty powerful words uh, that, as I mentioned, are pretty popular at this point now, too. There's a, obviously a YouTube video of it if you want to look that up. Um, I said a few weeks ago that it is helpful for us to think about how union with Christ attends to these kinds of deep 
existential longings that we have? What need does it meet? So uh, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, with adoption, union with Christ is the answer to the deep sense of estrangement and alienation that we feel. And so we are adopted into the family of God as a remedy for that. Justification, however, what we're talking about tonight, justification is the answer we need to what Jim Carrey is getting at, this nagging sense that we are not enough. Justification is the answer that we need to this nagging sense that we are not enough. Now, I know that you all know this feeling in some way or another. Like, it's hard, yes, in a culture that's steeped in narcissism to get this point across, but you still know it to be true. If I were to say, um, if I were to say that we all live with a deep sense of guilt and shame, that may not stick. If I were to say that we all live with a sense, of, a deep sense of guilt and shame, that may not stick because in a narcissistic culture, we're pretty much all victims. None of us are guilty of anything. We're just victims of everything, right? But if I said we all live with a sense of, of quote, like not enoughness, we sense that, that we're not enough or that I'm not enough, well, then that kind of resonates, or I bet it resonates with many of you. And you know it resonates because we're constantly trying to tell ourselves that we are enough, only to forget moments later. Like if you walk into some of these cool, trendy, like boutique shops on College Ave, you can find socks that talk about like, you know, women are enough, men are enough, men are the worst, you know, I'm enough, blah, 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 blah. This kind of self-talk, self-help, self-care, I'm enough language. Um, and, but this uh, this not enoughness that we carry is the sense of guilt and shame. So if you resonate with the language of not enough, that is the deep sense of guilt and shame. It's the internal conflict that tells me that my life is not sufficient, that my life is not adequate, that my life needs to be justified some way and somehow. I need a warrant to live. There's kind of this native unworthiness that just feels like residual inside of us that we're trying to overcome. David Zoll, uh, who's a, a pastor and a, a really great writer, he says it this way in his book, Seculosity. He says, quote, uh, listen carefully and you'll hear the word enough everywhere. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough. We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our own minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. Zal goes on to say in this book, no matter how close we get or how much we achieve, we never quite arrive at it. We never quite feel enough. 
In fact, the reality is, is that most of us are living under, I love this phrase, living under the torture of the fantasy self we are failing to become. So what we are looking for, this existential longing that we feel, this desire that we have, is justification. We are looking for justification, some internal peace that we are right. Not like right in an argument, but we are right, like good standing, that I'm okay, that we are okay. And what the Bible says is that your justification only comes through, you could guess it, your union with Christ. We are made right by this union. It is the relationship that validates your existence, that takes away not just the sense of guilt, but the actual guilt and shame that we all live with. And it gives you a righteousness, a wholeness that is not your own. Christ is your justification. So notice again, I've made this point a couple of times. It's not an idea that justifies you. It's not a behavior that justifies you. It's not a look that justifies you. It is a person and a relationship that justifies you. Okay, and so what I want to do tonight is I want us to look at this text, Genesis 3, that Pascal just read. I want to prove to you that this is in fact who we are. We're a people wandering around knowing and very aware of our not enoughness. And uh, further, that Jesus is who we need. And so we're going to do this simply by asking ourselves God's questions in this text and by responding with Adam and Eve's answers. Okay, so let's let's get started. So the first question that God asks is, where are you? Where are you? And the answer that Adam and Eve say, and that we would say, is we are hiding. We are hiding. Look at the text with me, starting in verse 8. We're going to read through verse 9. And they heard, that is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Um, Now here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. When we sense guilt and shame, the not enoughness, right? We go into hiding. When there's an internal sense of not enoughness or guilt and shame, we go into hiding and we become fantasy versions of ourselves hiding in a fantasy land. Here's what I mean by that. When Adam and Eve, so if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you know, this is Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2 cover the creation of the world and the creation of Adam and Eve in the garden where Adam and Eve live. And they're in harmony with God and with each other. In Genesis 3, 
is the account of the fall or when sin and brokenness enter the world. And when Adam and Eve disobey God, the first thing they do is they put on a front. They put on a mask. They cover themselves with fig leaves, as it says earlier in verse 7. It says, um, just to read the verse really quickly, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they covered themselves with these fig leaves, right? And this this fantasy version of themselves covered a mask, a front. And then not only do they cover themselves, but they then believe that they inhabit a fantasy land, a place, a land that is not created by God, a land that is not sovereignly controlled and cared for by God, and thus They think that they can hide themselves from God in this fantasy world. So they are fantasy selves hiding in a fantasy world. And so, and I want you to like think about this. Let this like soak in some. You begin to get a sense of the patience and the kindness of God as he asks the very ironic question that he surely knows the answer to. Where are you? Where are you? This is what we do with our guilt and shame. We hide. And all of us create these fantasy versions of ourselves that live in these fantasy lands, pretending as though God is not real, pretending that God is simply an afterthought, not something to be reckoned with. And so the first question for us tonight that you will be discussing in your breakout rooms in a moment is, where are you? Where are you hiding? But even more importantly, God is asking us that question tonight. God is asking us, where are you? What fig leaves have you sown for yourself in an effort not, um, sorry, in an effort to be enough? What trees are you hiding behind? That's what God is asking us tonight. So for you, maybe maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in, one that you know that you shouldn't be in, but you've dressed it up, this relationship, you've dressed it up in this fantasy land, pretending as Adam and Eve are doing that God doesn't know where you are. Or perhaps it's your obedience, your morality, And you have sown this beautiful facade of fig leaves, a squeaky clean persona, pretending that God won't ask you, where are you? But he will. Or perhaps, we're in Berkeley, right? Perhaps it's your progressive worldview, your woke status, and you have made a career out of virtue signaling, out of pretending that you have arrived, uh, and perhaps maybe you've never arrived. You've always just known it to be true, whatever the thing is that you're signaling. Uh, And uh, you're pretending that you've arrived while others haven't. But God's not looking at others. He's looking at you and he's asking, where are you? 
Okay, so we're all hiding. That's the first question that God asked. But the next question in this text really gets to the heart of the matter, and it gets to why we're hiding. Okay, why we're hiding. Let's let's finish out this passage looking at verses 9 through 11. Starting in verse 9, uh, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? I love that question. Uh, I love that question because when I read that text, I hear what just jumps off the pages to me is fatherly care and affection and concern. Who told you that? And the reason that I sense that God is actually concerned like a father here is because here's the answer. No one told them they were naked. No one told them. Nobody had to tell them. They knew it. They knew they were naked. The moment that they disobeyed God, the moment they took their own path and became kings and queens of their own lives, was the moment that guilt and shame and not enoughness entered their hearts and entered this world. This was the moment our sense of not being enough entered in. And here is the genesis of that existential longing. I'm not enough. I'm not okay. I feel guilty and I feel ashamed, even of my body. So I'm going to cover it up. You want to know I was talking about sex positivity and body image and all that? It's because of this. The genesis of that is in the book of Genesis in the Bible. And I mean, as a dad, this really resonates with me because like I see my boys growing up, five and two years old now, and out of nowhere, right, this sense of not enough creeps in. And it, it, here's the thing that's really shocking to me, but it also, I get it too, because this is me as well. It starts so small. It's not like it takes us being stripped naked in front of a bunch of people to feel shame. Like we get so insecure and ashamed over the smallest things. It starts so small. So Gabe, right, our oldest, he loves Star Wars. And uh, one of the things he loves about Star Wars is kind of acting out the various characters, like if we're watching the movies or whatever. And so he wants, one of the things he loves to do is spin and twirl a lightsaber just like Luke Skywalker does. And so he will practice all day, like, in the living room, outside, wherever it is, who practice all day, um, uh, twirling this lightsaber, you know, trying to spin it in all these different directions. And then he'll run into our room to show mom and dad to see how proud we might be. And each time that he starts to do this in front of us, it's not good enough. It's not good enough for him. He gets frustrated. Sometimes he storms off. This five-year-old little boy rejects any compliments we might give him about how awesome it was. Like, no, he won't have it. It's not good enough. And I'm thinking, like, 
Dude, you just turned five. It's so good. You're five. You turned like five a week ago, right? But that doesn't register in his brain, right? He's five years old. That doesn't register in his brain. But what does register in his five-year-old little brain is that I'm not good enough. It is in his bones. It is in his DNA. And as a dad, I am left looking at Gabe saying, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? And I get like fiercely protected because I'm like, you can spin the dang lightsaber well. You're good. You're a Dawes. You're my boy. You know, like you're good at this. But here's the point. As sad or as emotionally stirring as that story may be, Gabe is right. Gabe is not good enough. I am not good enough. You are not good enough. We are not good enough. And that existential longing is evidence of a deep-seated guilt and shame that our lives lack a justification that they desperately need. And so I see this playing out in Gabe's life and I see this playing out in my life as a pastor and a husband, as a dad and as a friend and I hear it in your stories and your relationships with your roommates uh, and in your classmates. Our guilt and shame, our sense of not enoughness, our insecurity about our status as being right and okay has driven a wedge between us and God and each other. It has driven us away from God and away from one another. And the only thing that can remedy this, the only thing that can remedy that is finding justification, but not in ourselves, but in someone else. Someone else who is just. Someone else who is enough. Someone else who is right. Someone else who can justify. They're not just just, just just. They are the justifier, right? They can justify you. Someone who can make us right. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus is our justification. Union with Christ is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. All the benefits that are given to you in the gospel are given to you in the person of Jesus. And one of those big benefits so desperately needed is justification. Jesus is our justification. I mentioned uh, at the beginning that justification is the fruit of Christ's work for us. Okay, justification uh, is the fruit of Christ's work for us. Now, here's what that means. Here's what that means. Here's the first thing that it means. The death that you deserved because of your guilt and shame, right? The reason that you're hiding, okay, that's not just a fabric of your imagination or a figment of your imagination. The reason that you hide from other people, the reason that you filter your life to be interpreted and understood a certain way, to be hashtagged and to be on brand, 
right? The death that you deserve because of guilt and shame. That not enoughness, like a garment, was placed on Jesus. All of it taken off, placed on to Jesus, and nailed to the cross. So when Paul says something like, you have been crucified with Christ, that's what he means. Your garments of guilt have been put on Jesus, and through his death and resurrection, your sins, your not-enoughness, has been erased. It is gone. They are no more. Your record of hiding and sowing fig leaves and pretending, all of that is dead. Paid for in full. And so here's the verdict. The verdict is in, and the verdict is you are not guilty. Not guilty. Justification, one of the metaphors that's often used with justification is like court, courtroom imagery. Where you're in the courtroom and the judge looks at you, God looks at you, and rather than seeing you, he sees Jesus and he says, not guilty. So that's the first thing. It means you're not guilty because the death you deserved, Jesus died in your place. Here's the second thing it means. It also means that the life that you didn't live was lived perfectly by Jesus. All of Christ's life matters. It's not just the cross. From the moment he's born to the moment he's ascended to even his high priestly ministry now as he's seated at the right hand of God. The life you didn't live was lived perfectly by Jesus. In his life, he was obedient in everything. Perfect. Perfectly fulfilling the law's demands. And in so doing that, in living that way, in honoring his mother and his father, and not having any other gods before God, and not stealing, and not lying, and not taking the Lord's name in vain, and on and on and on. In so doing that, he secures for you a new wardrobe. So he takes away the fig leaves. There's no more fig leaves. He takes the fig leaves and he gives you a robe. He gives you a robe of righteousness. And as you give your garment of guilt to Jesus, Jesus gives you his robe of righteousness. And so the point is, is that you are now enough in him because he is enough in you. You are now enough in him because he is enough in you. So the verdict is not only that you are not guilty. You are not guilty of what you did last night if you are in Christ. You are not guilty of what you will do tonight if you are in Christ. You are not guilty of what you will do tomorrow if you are in Christ. But it's not just that. The verdict is also that you are righteous. God doesn't just tolerate you as if like, well, you know, he's not guilty. God looks at you and he smiles because you are righteous, you are whole, you are enough in Christ. That is justification. That is the fruit of Christ's work for you. I'm going to close with a passage from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. 
where the prophet Isaiah is reminding uh, the people of God, reminding a divided kingdom, a people on the cusp of captivity, of the promises of God, a people that are, are in a similar situation to Adam and Eve, a people who are in similar in a similar situation to those of us who are not in Christ, right? We are held captive by our pretending. Listen to what he says, Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Union with Christ is like a marriage. You know, when I married Holly, everything that was mine becomes hers. And everything that was hers becomes mine. And so too, when you are wed to Jesus, when you are married to Jesus and united with him, everything that is yours now becomes his. And everything that is his now becomes yours. The last question that we're going to end on tonight, the last remaining question, is for us to ask, where do you get your clothes from? Where do you get your wardrobe? Do you go to the self-justification store? Do you put on fig leaves, hiding from your friends, hiding from yourself, hiding from God? Or do you go to Jesus? Do you go to Jesus to get your clothes? Do you let him clothe you? in garments that are not your own, but garments that you are nonetheless always meant to wear. I'll I'll end with this. Folks, when justification seeps into your bones, the freedom that you feel from stopping to pretend that you have it all together is so liberating. To being honest about who you are not as a way to say, this is who I am and I'm just going to affirm every like you know interest or uh, desire that I have, but as a way to just simply open up and say, this is the life that the Lord Jesus has justified and is justifying. And I'm telling you, that is the secret sauce to intimacy and relationships and friendships and growing in community and healing and growth and success, not material success necessarily, but if you want to impress your peers, like lean into a life that's justified in Christ. That's not the purpose of doing that, but there's freedom to be found. All right, let's pray and then we'll break out into groups. Uh, Lord, we thank you that in you we have all that we need. Um, everything that we long for, all of the shame that we deal with, all of the guilt that we deal with, all the um, the sense that we're not enough. Lord, you don't just pat us on the back. You actually call it out and you say, we have gone wrong. We have followed our own paths. We have sought a life that we thought was better than the good life that you made for us. Um, but you don't just leave us there. You don't just call us out and condemn us. 
you, you're honest with us and you invite us into that vulnerability. And yet in Christ, you offer us everything that we need to heal. And tonight we've learned of our justification in you. That what makes us right is nothing that we can do, nothing that we have done or nothing that we will do. But the only thing that makes us right is what Jesus has done. And so we pray in his name tonight that the garments of Jesus would be placed on us. For those of us who are weary and sad and depressed and anxious from lives that seem like we can never escape from the teeth of sin, your word is greater than our words. Your word is greater than our feelings. Your word is greater than our experiences. And you have said that we are justified in Christ. And so we silence the accuser in Jesus' name and we cling to him by faith. And we pray in his name. Amen.